Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I've got my old friend Robert Rios from Irican Productions up in Portland, Oregon. If you're an old school fan of mine, you would have seen us playing shows together back in 02, 03, from Eugene to Portland and in between. We're going to dive into that, but also talk about his recording studio in Portland, how you can make your band sound great. And then we're going to premiere a brand new track from his band, Sorry Not Sorry. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, dude. How's it going? Good, good. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I hear you just fine. Nice, man. Well, it's been a while besides those few minutes I saw you at a Good Riddance, so... Yeah. So, just to fill everybody in, we met in, I think, 2002. We were both in our high school bands. I was in EPD, you were in 36 Drive, and we played this outdoor, like, Battle of the Bands thing in Wilsonville, Oregon. I have not been there since. (laughs) (laughs) I think to get gas, that's about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because you and I, I mean, we played a few shows at the time. I think we played the Paris Theater and up in Portland and then down here, I had thrown uh, some shows at my high school. I think you guys played one or two of those. And then we didn't see each other for like a long, long time. Almost a decade. Or more. Almost two, yeah. And and then we fucking actually had kind of similar trajectories when we met up again. It was like, oh, no shit. Like, we're both in a million projects and our producers and, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah, I thought that was so funny when I stumbled upon you online. I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, kindred spirits, I guess. (laughs) I can't even remember exactly when that happened, but I, yeah, it was like you followed me or something. I was like, oh shit, I haven't seen that name in years. And then we ended up just calling each other and talking for a while. Yeah, and then uh, you also sent me a picture of a 36 drive yeah, cd yeah i still got and then it i sent you a picture of your epd cd that i had yeah of course it's still right on my shelf so that's so funny man that's crazy yeah i still got the trophy from that battle of the bands thing on my shelf upstairs actually that's funny it's the only battle of the bands i've ever won in my life <laughs> well you beat me apparently i don't even remember <laughs> yeah it was a fun show that's funny you won a battle of the bands i got Kicked off a battle of the bands. <laughs> oh shit! I got thrown out of uh, the Roseland Exposure Battle of the Bands. Really? When I was in high school, because I got on stage during my friend's band Willard was playing. Yeah. And I like got on stage, and I didn't realize how ridiculous the Roseland security was, and I immediately just got grabbed and thrown down the back staircase, just like. <laughs> and they ripped my shirt and threw me out in the street, and I had like an all access pass. I'm like, I'm in one of the bands, and they're like, But you already played. You're done. Wow. Nice. So typically on the show, we do kind of a deep dive, you know, through back catalog and work all the way up till uh, present day. Are you down? Yeah, sure. That sounds good to me. You'll probably remind me of shit I've done that I forgot about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So was 36 Drive your first band? Uh, Kind of. I grew up and me and my bass player for 36 Drive had been best friends since we were like five. Yeah. And so me and him had been in, in like school bands together and we started playing with one of my friends, Max, when we were like in junior high who played drums for a little bit. And I think we called ourselves Red Leader or something like that. And then nice. um, that kind of like turned into we played with a couple different people and then found Eric Lamb and then that turned into 36 Drive. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. So what age are you that that's happening? Oh, like 12. Nice. 13 maybe. So, and then I think like 14, 15 is when 36 Drive like really took off and we did a bunch of stuff. So when I last saw you, you're opening a show for one of my all time favorites, Good Riddance, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of my all time favorites too. I was, I was Incredible. And and you guys have been on, uh, when I say you guys, I mean Ground Score, the band you're currently playing, one of the bands you're currently playing with. Currently not anymore. Okay. I actually just quit in December. So. Okay, okay. But more recently, I've seen yeah. you on a lot of great bills. Now, back then, who was somebody notable? Like, what was the exciting, like, holy shit, like, this is really happening kind of show that you might have had back in the early days? Just, like, the same thing. I remember going to see Good Riddance and, like, drop murphy's and being like oh my god like this is incredible you know and like to be able to like 
be on that stage now to be the opposite. Yeah. I mean, that was incredible. We also got to open for Melancholin, which was the same thing. Yeah. They were one of the bands, like, growing up, I was front row freaking out, and then I got to be opening years later, so it's pretty incredible. <laughs> I really wanted to come up for that show, man. Their, their last two albums are so good. Melancholin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I know. Oh, my God, every time I hear True Brew, I cry. I can't, I can't not. It's yeah. just impossible. It's like it's like the resonating frequency of like my soul or something. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like it's weird when you want your artists to grow and change a little bit, but you want them to also stay who they are, you know, and, and the, the tenants that you loved when you first heard them, right? And they're, they're, <laughs> it's the fine line you gotta walk. <laughs> yeah, man. And they're one of those great bands that just somehow dug deeper and and got more refined and the tone gets better and just like every little thing but they never really departed from that original vibe yeah it, they, they fill that hole that they always have kind of and like but I, I don't know i think they have progressed like sonically and kind of just their songwriting but it is yeah it fills that same warm spot that you felt years ago you know yeah man i still remember hearing no cigar on a punkorama when i was a kid and just being like who is this i'm buying this right now it's funny as my mom even can pick out melancholin when she's hanging out with me she's like yeah. oh this is melancholin right she's like he's the guy who sounds like he's got marbles in his mouth <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that she even remembers their name and like what they sound like because they're so unique and his yeah the way he puts his sentences together and just the sound of his vocals i don't know it's funny Genie. that you say that because actually my mom has their last maybe their last two records and over the last several years has gotten into a lot of my favorite bands you know <laughs> that's awesome I, like i remember uh, some years back this might have been like 10 years ago or something and she'd be like telling me about the new offspring and the new rise against she's like have you got these you know i'm like i'm not really i don't know they're not doing my favorite stuff nowadays you know she's like oh you got to give it a chance it's so i'm like who what happened here like that's so funny you're telling me to listen to the bands you used to tell me to turn off you know <laughs> that's really funny your mom's going though what's the matter with parents today around i guess so. yeah for real yeah. man like actually the last time i did see rise against it was because she wanted people to go with her <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, road trip, let's do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So at what point, I mean, obviously, you and I, we come to bands as generally the songwriters, and, you know, there's always, like, one dude who winds up kind of by default taking on that role, right? And yeah. <laughs> and, and you're kind of the, the one who ends up pushing things forward. Now, when does that bleed over into production for you? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've kind of always been the one that's like kind of spearheaded everything and kind of been the one pushing the whole project forward. I think that did lead me into production because when I was younger, you know, I didn't have any musical production knowledge or audio engineering knowledge, but I wanted to do so much and I realized how much I was dependent on so many other people yeah and so that's why i decided like at first i went to school for business and then i realized that had absolutely nothing to do with music <laughs> and <laughs> so i quickly changed my course to audio engineering and i got into expression college for digital arts which is an audio engineering school in the bay area nice and i just realized that like if i was actually going to get anywhere with my music because being a musician is just so hard i was going to have to learn the production side of it it was just the most logical next step because as pushing my music, pushing the band, you just see, you end up requiring so many people and having to pay so many people yeah. to do so many things. So I figured I needed to be that next person. I needed to cut out more of the middlemen because it's like, it's impossible to meet musicians. It's also impossible to be a producer and engineer, but it makes being a musician easier. Oh, but yeah. Then it adds a whole other level of fucking stairs to climb you know well you but, hit it right on the money when you said there's more people to pay because when you're diy i mean that is everything you are really beholden to whatever the constraints of your budget may be and so yeah. i kind of fell into this as well just as you know you you pay somebody to record your band uh, maybe you pay somebody to do your album cover or you know pay somebody to do your music video 
whatever it is, your flyer, and you start to watch them and see what they did with your stuff. Mm-hmm. And for me, I never went to proper school for it and learned it was more just a matter of like i would see what somebody did and then maybe the next time i'm more collaborative and we're working together and then we do that a couple times and i'm like you know what i think i just want to give this a try maybe i got this you know and and you're trying to kind of cut out all those extra money holes that you're you're just wasting stuff that could have gone to merch or tour or something you know It's just like, I feel like the being a musician is like you, it's like the black hole of finding out what you have to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It so never ends. Like you just realize like, there's always something to do. There's always something that, you know what I mean? So that's why you want to educate yourself so you can do as much of that or else you will go broke doing this. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, now we're social media managers and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're PR agents. I mean, we're, oh my God. we're everything. So many hats, so many things. I, I don't know. I'm, there's so much of like that putting yourself out there aspect that I have a hard time with because I'm kind of a purist when it comes to like the music, you know what I mean? Yeah. At the same time, I have to force myself to do elements of that or I will get nowhere because getting exposure is just almost impossible, you know? So yeah. unless you're doing it yourself, so. Yeah, fully. I mean, it's really kind of a matter of like, how much can I take on before I, I can, lose my mind? Before I can no longer like write the fucking songs, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I try to do, I'm a minimalist. I don't know. I try to be like, I don't post shit all the fucking time. I try to like, when I do put shit out, I try to put my best foot forward, but I'm not as constant as like everyone. It's about finding like a happy medium to where I feel like I present myself in a way that. I'm not annoying myself yeah. or anyone else, but then also putting myself out there to give myself a fair chance. And that, I don't know, I'm kind of a private person for the most part, so that's hard for me to do sometimes. Yeah. I remember uh, some years ago, I was really, much like now, burned out on social media, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to only post when I've got a tour coming up or, or a single coming out or something like that. I did that for a while and then I noticed just like such a diminished return on those posts and it was like god damn it they they want you to be part of the conversation they want you to to be commenting on their shit and to be you know I realized like I just have to fucking live my life on here to some extent if I'm going to have the level of interaction that I need it's still not enough. It's never enough because we're the little guys, you know, yeah. and they do everything to throttle your reach and all that. But I mean, yeah. at some point, I just kind of had to uh, give in and play along to be heard. It's hard to jump in. I mean, it's like we grow up and we develop our personality just in dealing with people. But dealing with this whole social media thing, it's like you almost have to develop your own personality in that realm and how you go about doing it. And it's a little different than how you present yourself in public. And so I think it's been hard for me to learn what is my online persona personality. I'm not quite as boisterous or as posting as everyone else, but I do need to figure out something. So it's hard to cultivate how do I put myself out there, but not be embarrassed about what I'm doing, you know, or feel like I'm over putting myself out there. So that's been really hard for me. I'm learning to do that still. Yeah. It's funny because like the last, I don't know, six months or so, like, most of my following knows me as a rapper more than a punk singer these days. And, and, and yet it's, I don't have time to be cranking out music videos and all this other proper stuff. And so I feel like the last six months, the most music you get out of me is like, I'll just sit down with an acoustic and like play a cover or something. And I was just like looking at my feed the other day going like, damn, like people who've been following me for rap are like starved for content right now. Cause like all I'm posting are these quick little acoustic videos. I know my entire fan base is superstar for content because my life's just been nuts the last couple of years. So I'm about to release a full-length Faith the Saints record, a Faith the Saints EP, a second Faith the Saints EP, a Faith <laughs> the Saints live record with second best, and Sorry Not Sorry's debut record. Awesome. So I'm about to release five releases yeah. this year. And I've been working hardcore on them all for the last several years. But like the way things time out, especially being a musician... 
And then all that touring I did with Ground Score, because yep. we had so much opportunity that we kind of had to run with it. Like, I mean, your plans to do any of this are thrown out the window. You're at the whim of the universe for the most part. So yeah. the fact that these are all finally fucking coming out is amazing, you know? So It's, so it's, it's funny, like, man. Like, people will tell me in past years they're like man you you put out so much music like how do you do this like i can hardly keep up with the amount of content you put out like how do you crank them out so fast i'm like so fast this one took three years that one took that one took two this one took five you know like it's not like uh oh i just cranked this out over the summer this is like a culmination of years worth of work it's like when an actor has two movies come out in the same month or something they're like I didn't know that was going to happen. Like, that's not how we made them. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it took us, like, fucking five years to make them, so. I know the Faith of Saints records, like, we kind of went on hiatus. We kind of, like, stopped being a band in the process of recording that, but we ended up wanting to finish the record, so we kept doing it. So getting everyone in was a disaster. It took four years to finish tracking the whole fucking thing. Yeah. So I'm just glad it's done, I think. Part of my soul just, you know, like turned over with the release or with finishing that because it was just so much weighing on that and finishing that. So many years of fucking work. So, dude, I, I know what you mean, man. I played bass in a band from like 2009 to 2012, and we recorded an album. First of all, we started it three different times. We finally got it right. Mm-hmm. We laid down all of our drum and bass tracks in. September 2011 and I was like all right I'm gonna go on tour for a couple months you know when I come back we can mix this shit put it out right so that was 2011 and we just got the masters back for this in June this month um time is relative yeah whatever in 2012 I remember saying because they were like still charging forward I was like no 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 I was like you don't get me until you finish your parts on the record. And so we have not played a show in eight years because I was like, no, like just fucking finish this, please. And now it's done and it's like, well, no one's playing shows anywhere ever. Um, so I yeah. guess I guess now we have this and it feels good to have it, but we're just going to keep it. Like <laughs> it's, it's still exactly hiding. That's what's happening with Saints because like we haven't really been much of a band anyways, but we can't be much of a band even if we could do shows because like my bass player's got three kids and is married and yeah you know so but we want to release all this music but we're like all right here's all of our music and maybe we'll play a show when the world opens up but besides that yeah. i don't know yeah you got to make some like animated videos and like come with some oh some other other kinds of content where you don't have to get everyone in a room you know more more shit to pay for though. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's hard. Like Dead Fucking Serious dropped our record last year and right as we're booking the tour, my drummer's like, "Um, so I have news. Uh, it turns out I'm having a baby." And I'm like, "Oh my god." So we we shortened the tour and then we had to go on hiatus, you know. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, "All right, we got the the anniversary of the record's coming up. We still can't get in a room. I have nothing to give people and i was like oh shit we had some b-sides i'm gonna put out the b-sides just so we have like something to give people because it's like more than just a oh here's a little post about the thing we dropped it's like no i I love this fucking thing we put so much time into it i want you to hear it we need to make more of a thing than yeah i don't know it's hard it is hard i was reading i can't remember where someone did an interview with ian mckay Minor Threat, yeah. and he said, they're like, oh, what are your favorite releases for Minor Threat or whatever, and he was like, the ones that actually came out. <laughs> yeah. Doing this is like, I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know the life factors that are coming to affect. I mean, it takes so much to do all this, and there's so many moving parts. I mean, yeah, the time of release is unknown for world factors, and now with this COVID thing, I mean, it's like, I mean, that's really killed my business because it's no artists really have any security in what they're doing. So nobody's really recording because everyone's has this big question mark on what's happening. And it's just if there's ever a situation that's going to happen, that's going to happen to your release. Yeah. And (laughs) like there's a good friend of mine. I was producing a record for him. And and also because this is the age that we're at, he had a baby. And so he his record went on hold. And now he's hitting me up going like, hey, so um, 
obviously we can't get together, but I've been recording the other songs at home. Would you want to mix it? So like now my production jobs are just turning into mix jobs, you know? Mm-hmm. I know. That's what I'm trying to get people to be like, hey, anything you're working on, send me your mixes. So yeah. I haven't had anybody sending me much. I did get a band, a Heartful Snakes, who have done their record before. They did call me and say that they're tracking their record and they are going to send it to me to mix. So I'm, I'm nice. still for that. So I'm hoping that I can start getting clients rolling in, like actually doing that. So. so what was the first point that you actually started applying those skills to someone other than your own band? Like who, who was the first other artist that you produced for or, or mixed for or anything like that? When, when did this start for you? Well, in school, you know, I worked with a ton of bands. So um, it, it wasn't until I went to school I really started working with other bands because I'd always just done kind of work with my own band. Actually, I had my own, like, shitty... You know those zip drive discs? Yeah. Remember those, like, big fat ones? I yeah. used to have a digital recorder that recorded onto those, but I could never get it to work, and I just kind of was like, fuck it. And I never did anything with it, and so it really wasn't until school I started working with other bands. And so then I worked with, I mean countless bands in school i mean like 100 or whatever and that's in just, what berkeley huh? oakland where are you at uh, it's emeryville technically so okay. it's right, bef- uh, right between berkeley and oakland so, okay um it's like right where the bay bridge connects to the east bay yeah so i started working with a lot of bands there countless bands because as part of your lab you just have bands from all over the area signing up to work for different lab shifts that you're just recording so i recorded countless bands during then but when i got out you may know this band. Um, I've always been friends with Second Best from Portland. And when I moved, was moving back to Portland, I heard that Johnny from Second Best, their bass player, was looking for a place to live. And I love Second Best. They're one of my favorite bands. And so I hit Johnny up, and he wanted to move into a place that we could record. And I was like, well, I'm a producer and engineer. I just got my degree, and I want someone to move in with that can have like a band house and record bands. So I moved in with Johnny, and then my friend Joe was a video producer. He moved in with us, and that's how we originally started our Recon Productions in this small northeast house in Portland with Johnny from Second Best and Joe Kirkland as my video producer. I started with recording all of Second Best stuff because they they were like one of the best bands I'd ever heard, but all the recordings sounded pretty bad they just recorded themselves and they didn't know anything about recording music so i kind of like listened to all their shit and loved them and then since i moved in with johnny i kind of like took them under my wing and like showed them how to record how to properly capture things how to properly eq mix compress and that was good for me because i just gotten done with school so it was like i learned how to do it now i teach someone how to do it yeah it was like they say in like medicine it's like you learn it you do it and then you teach someone to do it so i was like applying the same thing to like audio and so then I did like the first two second best or the first well recorded second best records. Yeah. And then from there I was just getting all the bands we met and played with. I was usually getting them to come in and do some kind of release with me. So, but mainly it started with second best and yeah, they're the my guinea pigs at the start. <laughs> we all have our guinea pigs. Actually, just those words remind me of the first band I recorded here at Take 92. It was in 2005. And some ex-bandmates of mine had their own project, and they were going to be my first for hire. I had made some of my own stuff, but I remember going like, yeah, I'm really excited for the session this weekend. Like, this is my first time recording a full drum kit by myself. And they just looked at me like, what did you just say? I'm like, bitch, you know how many records I've worked on? Shut up. Like, I'm just saying, like, this my first time solo. I'm excited. Yeah. When it's all just you and your movement, so, yeah. Let me ask you this. I find it really interesting that you say you had this influx of bands that you could work with when you were there because I've known multiple people who went to the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Science in Arizona, and they took the courses. They have, like, a project, and that's it. They don't have hands-on experience like a lot of those people will leave there and then go have to find an internship or something like that because they don't have the practical experience they just learned it all on paper like what was it about that particular school that drew you to it because i i haven't heard of anybody having so much hands-on experience i mean that's like some full sale shit 
Yeah, well, it is. It's actually a comparable to Full Sail. The only at the time, I think it's different now, but at the time, Full Sail and Expression were the only two accredited audio engineering colleges in the country. Oh, okay. It's the same thing as Full Sail. Majority of our teachers all came from Full Sail because Full Sail was the first school to do that. Yeah. So all the ones who want to be on the West Coast came and taught there. So there was a lot of influx from that, but. It's because we had giant studios. We had rooms designed by John Stork. So, I mean, we had like multi-million dollar rooms. And so we would have our labs. So we'd have our daily labs, which would be like a three-hour lecture. And then after our lecture, we would have a three-hour lab, which would be assigned in these different rooms. They had like three different rooms with an SSL console nice. uh, with an MTR, so two-inch tape, with like their own little small live room that also doubled as like a Foley pit for the video guys yeah um and then there is a couple large studios there was an octagon which is one live room with eight different control rooms so you could do eight different mixes wow. of the same tracking there was the 9k which was like our three million dollar room like the really big one with the ssl 9k board in it and i recorded uh the faith of saints ep in that room actually oh nice so it was a lecture based and yeah, we had to learn like the fundamentals of these gear. A lot of this gear I learned on, I'll never use. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's just like such big boards that I mean, I didn't. I mean, unless I was working in someone else's big studio, I mean, I'm never going to get on those again. But you know, the fundamentals are the same. But uh, in those rooms, doing the lecture and then immediately into the lab was helpful. And then you just had an influx of bands signing up from the Bay Area to come in. So it was constant hands-on, constantly different bands, constantly different styles. And also, we were in all these different rooms. I was really lucky. So I went from having no recording experience to getting out of school and having a ton of recording experience. Yeah. Um, and I wish they would have had better placement, cause, but there's really no placement for this because, I mean, what we do is very, there's not a lot of people doing this or who can do it well. And I don't know, I just, there was n no placement from the college, but I felt like I got a really good education and I learned a lot. I had a lot of hands-on experience that I normally would not have had. So. Yeah. I remember when I started doing this, you know, I was very much just learning as I went, but quickly found that there were a lot of bands in need of like a good low budget recording, you know, mm -hmm. same stuff that I had been looking for just two years prior or something, you know, I wonder, was that, a similar trajectory for you? Like once you started doing it and you put out those, you said they're called second best. Yeah. Second yeah. Best. So when you put out those second best records, uh, what year was that? When I graduated from college, I was putting out faith of saints, first EP sweet sacrilege. And as I was finishing the mixes, I was living with second best and recording with them. So it was like 2008 into 2009, 2010. Okay. And so, so around this time, I mean, how long does it take before, other bands you're playing with going like, who made your uh, <laughs> shit? Like, how can well, I? Pretty quickly. I started recording a lot of bands right when I got out of college. I was new to the city. I met so many people. I was playing so many shows. So I was just telling everybody, hey, hit me up. I'll record you for free and or I think I was doing $50 a day at this point or yeah. something or free for anybody I like knew or liked. So I was not making any money for like the first six years. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, or maybe two to three years was just like, I did so much shit for free. People would bounce checks with me all the fucking time. It was usually $50 a day, but I just needed to get, I just wanted as much experience. And I yeah. was working as a dishwasher at the tin shed and moved up to bartender. So I had a little like income just to pay my bills so I could do it for like nothing. But then as I got good at it and I started getting better, I started charging a little bit more. But the problem is once you start charging more or wanting people to like actually recognize you for what you do, yeah. you immediately get a drop off in clientele because yeah. people want everything for free. So as soon as I started charging, even though I knew it was fucking worth it, I immediately started losing business. Yeah. And it's been a battle since then just to basically convince people that they want to pay me what I'm worth. To record and i don't charge much at all yeah but it's amazing how everyone wants to record with you when it's free or nothing or 50 bucks a day yeah but as soon as you want them to respect you as like it's your job then people get weird because people more often want to rub shoulders with famous people so when it, if they're going to spend money on shit they want a name attached to it they want some famous person who recorded there or some producer or whatever and I don't really have that, so it's hard to... 
Well, that and, that and also we live in a time where this stuff is very accessible. And so yours comes with experience and education, right? But a lot of times, like we were saying, we started doing this shit ourselves because, God, it costs so much to have all these services done. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's always going to be a component of that, like when you're a DIY artist or mm-hmm. band, that you are really at the mercy of that budget. And so I had the same sort of experience. And, you know, after two or three years of doing it really cheap, really often, mm-hmm. I, I had realized, like, wow, last year was the first year I didn't put out an album of my own like this is consuming a lot of my time and not giving me a exactly. lot of reward I, yeah and so totally through that, that process you're you're honing your skill you're getting better and then there's a certain moment at least for me where i was like okay so i closed down like the website i had i was like i am not a hired gun anymore and then i would work with bands that i knew and really liked and i would charge a little bit more but I wasn't like, okay, I'm just going to do every cheap gig that comes through because I can't keep up with all this stuff that I'm not even invested in. Oh, it's too much. It's too many moving parts, and then you'll burn yourself out doing something you're not enjoying working on at all. Yeah. So. And, and like you said, it will take away from your music yeah. that you're wanting to do, and that's the reason we got into this in the first place. It's tricky because I realized at some point more recently in, in, in recent years, I was like, man, if I had been smart because at that point i'm younger i'm more out there and involved in the scene all the time outwardly and i had built up a clientele i was like if at that point i had really done it smart i probably could have quit my job and taken more of those um jobs that i didn't want but then had not a 40-hour work week attached to it, right? And then, and then like, I, I bet I could have made that work. And I didn't see it at the time because I was just like, man, this is taking up every bit of free time I have and I'm getting paid yeah. like nothing. This sucks. And now it's like, okay, I'm much, much better at it, but I'm the old guy at the punk shows. Like, no, I don't know anybody. I'm, you know, <laughs> like, it would be way too hard to try to build that from the ground up now it's like I've, I felt like I sort of I, I had it and was like fuck this I'm, I'm gonna focus on the songwriting and I kind of missed the window a little bit but ultimately the quality of the music and the songs is ultimately what people are enjoying so for yeah. me I honestly feel like I mean I, and like all, all the loyal punks and scene scenesters or whatever are gonna fucking hate me for this but like the scenes kind of like it's just like a bullshit fashion representation of what's actually happening in the content. Yeah. So I have a hard time paying a lot of respect to the scene when I think it kind of eats music alive. So I'm a little bit more critical of that. So I would say you probably chose the right thing, choosing quality and content over imagery and figuring out how to put your hair up. You know. (laughs) Yeah. It was definitely the right move creatively. It was just one of those of like, well, could I have not been in retail a long time ago? Huh. <laughs> I know I worked as a bartender for 10 years till I got burnt out and I ended up quitting all pissed off. But yeah. the best thing I fucking ever did was quitting my job. I mean, it's a lot harder to make a living and to like get business in. But as for like my day to day and how I feel and what I'm actually doing, I'm so much happier. Yeah, man. I just quit my job because I've been quote unquote essential these last few months. <laughs> And uh, man, it's just awful being out there with the public and they don't give a fuck about you. And and I I was just like, I'm done. I'm out. And I I waited until I had something lined up. But yeah, starting uh, next week, I'm just gonna be working from home and uh, not uh, endangering myself for the sake of stupid bullshit, you know? Yeah, good. More power to you. Feels good. (laughs) Yeah. I know I'm happy I get to work for home right now, but right now I just I just need the work to get coming in a little bit more because yeah. it's been fucking slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like people can't even get in the same room to record. You know, it's really tough. I just really hope people would be recording on their own. I mean, on anything. Send me anything. Like I, I feel like it's amazing what you can kind of throw together just on like a home recordings and stuff. And I mean, yeah. I don't know. I would just encourage people to do that. Record your own shit and send it and see what we can do, you know? I'm going to see how it plays out, but uh, I recorded 
scratch tracks of two guitars, bass, and vocals. And I emailed them to my drummer who doesn't really have, you know, he makes like on his own, he, he does like electronic shit and, and he's not really set up to record like we do here. But he's going to try just like a two-channel drum recording so we can at least have a demo of the song so we can at least move forward and try to, you know, you got to iron out the kinks of of your arrangement and do all that. Take advantage of the downtime to do all the pre-production that most people don't ever take the fucking time to do. Well, see, that's... The beauty of having the studio here in my house is that Same it's... Same with me. You the, pre-produce the shit out of everything. Oh, it's the greatest songwriting tool I've ever had. I mean, I, I didn't even yeah. think of it that way when I was starting. And, and oh my God, it's the, it's the greatest. I mean, I when we, we did, did our... pre-production, I send everybody home with rough... Like, yep. a, you know, rough recordings of everything so they go home and sit on it before they can even, like, come oh, yeah. actually track it. Shit, so I mean, good. we record our practices when we've got new songs. I mean, it's just like, yeah, here you go. It's like, oh, I track almost every practice. Yeah. <laughs> just because we can be like, hey, what was that fucking rad thing we played last week? Oh, yeah. let's go look. <laughs> yeah. It's great, man. And I remember the DFS record we made last summer, we did all of the tracking, and it was like, 18 songs or something like that we did we did all of the tracking in basically 24 hours it was on like a thursday and a friday and nice. all, all i had to do after that was lead vocals because we had done so many months of pre-production and changing the tubes and the mics and the drum heads and getting everything exactly how we wanted it at rehearsals and making these demos that it was like okay let's get down to it Let's, let's play the fucking songs well. And like that was the only thing we had to worry about because everything else was already out of my mind from pre-production. I mean, it was mm-hmm. beautiful. Like We yeah. could, could never have done that anywhere else, setting all your shit up from the ground up again. That's what I try to encourage all my bands that come into the studio is like, hey, why don't you guys come in like the week before, Yeah. Um, use my cabinets, Bring your snare, bring your cymbals, like just play on my in my practice space. I'll track it and I'll send you home with rough mixes yeah. of everything you're gonna record. So you guys can have two weeks to hear what you sound like in a room playing together. I love that. And that has been everyone as soon as I've done that, because not only then do I show them what I'm capable of, yeah. On just a just recording mics live dirty open in a room, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it also shows them what they're capable of, and then everyone's like, okay, this is what it's going to end up sounding like. This is where yeah. we're getting at. It just makes the tracking ten times better, ten times smoother, and no one ever, everyone knows what's expected of them, what the turnarounds in the songs are. So every band that comes in is like, give me a practice day. Just come in for an hour. Just play your set. Just play those songs. Yeah. Let's just see what's happening. And so. if they're using mostly your gear, you can have the room already mic'd up when they show up. You know, it's great. And like, that's, I do have the most part, and I will use their gear if they want it, but I figure it's like we might as well just like get it in the room and see what it sounds like. You know what I mean? I had like a little, it's like a contract that I would send out as we were booking the time because I had so many bands bring in their like disgusting ass, you know, garage sale drum kit that hadn't been you know, reheaded and tuned in five years and, or they'd bring in this random ass thrift store amp and just all this shit. And so I got to this, to a point where I would send out a thing that said, uh, here's the list of gear in this, in this room. We use DW, we use Ampeg, we use Mesa Boogie. Like if you want to bring, uh, you know, snares, cymbals, pedals, whatever, like sure. But, like, for the love of God, just leave your crap at home. <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, I'll give bands a chance. Be like, well, if you have something that you really like the sound of and you really want it on there, yeah. bring it. We can do it. But usually... It just weeds out anyone who doesn't have the legit stuff. Yeah. Because then you're, people you're... will bring in a piece of shit, and it will sound cool, and I'll be like, okay, I get why you wanted this piece of shit in here because yes. it's unique. But usually bands will come in, and they'll hear how their shit sounds, and be like, "Do you want to try my shit?" And then they'll plug in and be like, "So you can use that if you want." Yeah. And then they usually will, unless they have something really unique. Yeah, you know? totally. So yeah, there's always those exceptions. I just found that it was like when I'm taking any old band off the street, I was like, "I need a buffer here because <laughs> wow." That's the fucking drum kit. Usually, that's the fucking worst, man. Yeah. So, what was your first 
recording setup as you start to go out onto your own? I mean, what are you using at that point? Um, well, I trained on Pro Tools mainly, so um, I started on Pro Tools. I think it was like Pro Tools Seven. I can't. I honestly can't remember. I'm so bad with the model numbers. Uh, but it was a Digio Two interface, so an eight channel interface yeah. uh, with Pro Tools like Seven, I think. And then uh, it was an Octopre. Focus. It was a Focusrite Oct. Yeah. Because I have the new Focusrite Octopre, but I think it was the old, old one. Yeah. No, it was a Behringer 8-channel <laughs> interface that I had connected via light pipe. So it was Pro Tools on an old Mac Pro tower with the Digio 2 8-channel interface with a light pipe connection connected to a Behringer 8-channel pre. And then I had Yamaha board that I would use the pre's on with the Digio 2 pre's or for the, the Behringer pre's so I didn't have to use those. Dude, I still have one of those little light pipe Behringer 8-channel expansions. I almost never need it. Like, I got rid of my actual board years ago because it was like, mm-hmm. I'm recording myself most of the time. Like, I don't ever usually need more than seven drum mics and a scratch track, you know. But I yeah. still in my rack, it's sitting here. It doesn't get a lot of play, but it's there. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know. I like to I like to stack pre's, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I like having choices of gain. So I've always had a board to just use the pre's on, to either use like the pre's on the interface or pre's on the board or yeah. you know. I just like having kind of cascading stacked gain stages you know mm-hmm. you can kind of get a little di- di- different bit of texture or clarity out of certain things so so i would just like to because i rarely get the chance to to geek out about tone a little bit but i mean what is your what is your amp rig like i mean what is your go-to for punk rock guitar well i got orange amp controls there <laughs> so that'll tell you that i'm an orange amp guy these are um, tattoos he's showing me orange amp rocker verb 50 run through a sonic maximizer and that's been the best rig i've ever had i have a marshall 1960s tv reissue cabinet um is that so the, yeah, the, the orange, tall the tall one the taller one's With, like an inch or two taller yeah yeah dude those those uh have the greenbacks in them right yeah yeah those sound great that's the best guitar rig I've ever had. That's why I got this tattooed on my knuckles. Because after <laughs> I got that, I was like, oh my God. This is... And I've always been on the search for like the best amp. Because I've yeah. never been happy. I'm an forever an unsatisfied amp customer until I bought that Rocker Verb 50. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that damn thing. I also have a Fender Tone Master, which I'll use mm. coupled in recordings. Uh, Drew from Faith the Saints will use that when we play live because he never has bought his own amp. Because I don't know yep. why. But um, so what I uh, lately what my uh, secret weapon has been, I'll track with the orange on the Marshall 1950 TV reissue, mm-hmm. and then I'll have the Fender Tone Master on just the standard Marshall. Um, but what I'll do is I'll have my guitar run into a splitter mm-hmm. and then have it split to those and I have two close mics on up on one cab and two close mics up on the other cab. Oh wait, no, I did that for I did that for one guitar, but what I actually ended up doing I did one close mic up on each and then one distance mic mm-hmm. on each. So that it's two cabs going at the same time so you, but it's split so you get the uh, timing differential of the speakers moving. Yeah. But then you have the close up for the, you know, the attack, but then you also get the room tone and the bleed and that's been just like that's been like the best thing ever. Yeah, for so. the longest time cuz I've had a dual rec that's my go-to and then I have a VHT it's sort of like an 800, a JCM 800 <laughs> style. Um where it's got the KT88s single channel. I'll use that on my opposite channel. When I wasn't touring with the band, I got rid of all my 412s. And so I had them sitting on top of a Mesa 212 and a VHT 212. So whichever head I was using, I was actually miking both cabs um, mm-hmm. to get different flavors in the mix. And it was really cool. Like right now I'm running just a Mesa 412 and a JCM 900 412. I think that dates after the last record. But yeah, I mean, I, I love having the combinations of flavors where 
the VHT naturally has these more like upper mids and the Mesa's just got this oomph in the bottom end. And, uh, you know, I just, I love mixing and matching those things and the way they complement each other. Yeah. It's interesting. Like when I was doing that dual amp setup, like you can hear, you'll hit one note and like the attack will come from this cabinet. Right. But then it'll resonate more from this one. Yeah. Just cause of like the differences in the tubes or the cabinets, but then capturing that in the same room, it just makes, it makes there be physical movement be frequency dependent instead of you panning something. Yes. And that's been like my favorite thing lately is doing the two cabs in the same room with one away, one close. Cause you just get the timing differential and then you get the frequencies to kind of ebb and flow between the cabinets and you can actually feel a move in the stereo field and in the mix. That's amazing like, yeah. to have it do it musically. I don't have to pan something to complement it. The frequencies are just doing that because of the way the cabinets are interacting together. And one thing that I do too is I, I'm sure you have your go-to mics that you like on cabinets. I'll typically use just like a, a 57 or an i5 Audix, um, and then I'll use the uh, Sennheiser 609 because it's got that real brittle top-end attack thing going on. The combination of those is really nice, especially kind of a darker i5 tone um, nice. uh, to offset it. But the times that I've sent it to somebody else to mix, I'm always like, the guitar tracks, like I'm giving them to you separately, but like they are meant to be together. Because like if you were just to solo it, I remember a friend of mine being like, this guitar track doesn't sound that great. I was like, oh, no, no, no. You have to put them on together. And he was yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah, I was like, yeah, they're, they're like intentionally carving out totally different frequency responses, you know, yeah. so I can it's get like the widest. Like if you listen to them separately, it's not what you want at all. No, but not together, at all. it's just, oh, yeah. my Lord. Yeah, and that's, that's one thing I've learned just from recording myself is that, I mean, it depends. If you are trying to do like a live recording and you need to utilize all of your channels very specifically and use fewer mics, you know, then like, yes, I'm going to try to just get the most complete sound from each instrument or whatever. But like a lot of times when I'm recording myself, I just know that I want all these little flavors on my palette that I can mix together <laughs> later, you know? Yeah, exactly. What is your favorite mics for guitar recording and bass recording? Right now, uh, my favorite combination is I have uh, the Royer 121 mm. and a 57. I have those close up right in front, uh, usually on separate speakers. Same cabinet, but separate speakers, but in the same position, so they're getting the same time arrival. Yeah. Because what I'll usually do is then I'll blend those together. I'll record them onto one track together. Mm -hmm. So I'm not having to work with separate tracks. It'll just be the close mic track. That's smart. So it's, yeah, my main tone is that Royer 121 ribbon mic with the 57 and then I always have a far away mic to kind of get a little more of the room tone I find you get more of the low end and I my favorite mic right now I use for vocals and I use for that is the Mojave the MA300 I've been, using so that I've been doing that for my far away mic on guitars that's like my workhorse mic I put that on fucking everything so yeah. it's like my far away mic it's like the mic always listening from a distance or it's on vocals so yeah Aurora 121 57 with the Mojave MA300 distance would probably be my guitar setup so you mentioned the Royer I just actually got my first ribbon mic I've I've used the um Cascade Fathead on a couple sessions before just mm -hmm. working with a friend Recently, I came up on this SE Electronics uh, X1R. I haven't had any time with all this essential shit, but I finally, for this demo I was telling you about that we did the other day, I got to put it up on my cabs, and my God, they're just so full, and like it just sounds like you're in the fucking room. You know, so many mics, like we were saying, they have their own colors and, and whatever. What and mic is this again? Say it again. It's an X1R. It's SE Electronics. Um, X1R. I'll have to look it up. I'm not familiar with it. So it's right behind me, right here, actually. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll check but, it out. <laughs> yeah. So far, I've used it on vocals. I've used it on acoustic. I've used it on um, my Mesa cab the other day, and it was like, oh, man, this thing really is kind of a jack of all trades. Nice. I'll have to check it out. So I'm looking to get some some new mics and stuff. I uh, I'm kind of like at a uh, stand still with kind of gear right now but I, I don't know i've been like wanting to buy a handful of new mics i definitely want to get an sm7 
and the Sennheiser, the 421. I think those are my next uh, my next purchases. So. Dude, I, I love the way the 421 sound on Toms, man. Like I, that's one that I've always wanted to get. Yeah, we used it on Toms on the Sorry Not Sorry recording. I don't have one, but Johnny brought his over, and yeah. then Johnny also brought over his SM7 when we recorded, and we put that on snare. Mm. And I, oh my god, yeah, the 421 on the Toms best and then that sm7 on snare top holy shit that's pretty impressive actually i haven't tried that actually i i got the sm7 a few years back for the podcast actually and then i ended up using it exclusively for my dfs vocals because i found that it it really it's so flat that (laughs) when i would track like the same song on a condenser versus on that it just there's so much harshness (laughs) harshness <laughs> that it removes um just by giving you such a natural recording and so I've, I've used that on all my screaming stuff i really want the sm7 because i love my mojave ma300 but it's so bright it's all this like top end color and like yeah. the nasalness of it you know yeah um, and i'm really a harsh singer so it works well resonating through my nasal cavity but the SM7 is all that mid and low range. So yep. I really want the SM7 for the mid low attack. And then I want the Mojave MA300 for the shimmer on top. I used but to yeah. do that with uh, my vocals where I would double mic it. You know, I had one that was like when I started, it was a really dark, it was like an AKG C3000 or something. It was kind of a cheap condenser. Mm-hmm. It was a really dark mic. So unless I mixed it with a brighter one, it kind of just. It, it worked great on, like, uh, dude I rap with a lot, Evil. He has a, a lot of sibilance in his voice. And so uh-huh. I'll put him on the SM7 now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's and then... nice pop filter on it just ready for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and me, like, I have darker consonants. I think it was just from having vocal lessons, like, so many years back that I mute a lot of things as I'm doing it. And so I used a blue mic for a lot of years because it had such a mm-hmm. top end presence you know um nice. but i can't put him on it and so i give him the sm7 <laughs> it's nice just to have a little bit of variety so yeah i mean maybe the shit that i'm working on that sounds great is not going to sound good when the next artist comes in the room it's good to be able to adapt yeah know what you're capable of you know all your colors you can choose from for the most part so <laughs> yeah so before we uh, wrap this up, you were telling me about a lot of projects that you've got coming out. So ground score, just to gloss over, you're not in the band anymore, but you guys you guys did a lot of work together. It was the most successful group I've ever been in in my entire life. It went from like nothing to just punk rock bowling in like two years. That's awesome. It was great. It was a project where all four of us were super active in it yeah and i did half the songwriting and kevin did the other half of the songwriting and jay our bass player would write like a song here and there but yeah that was a great project i'm happy that we did so much ultimately like i could not work happily with my bass player in that project yeah yeah we ended up just having differences that we couldn't come to terms with and i had to leave and because he was kind of our booking agent and was kind of like managing the band yeah you know, it wasn't really my place to like throw it's him or I. I just had to exit because yeah. it was his project that he was moving on with, even though I was recording all the music, practicing at my house and writing most of the songs. It just didn't work out. And so I felt that the best way for it to go would be me to leave. But also they had an issue where they weren't able to even be ground score anymore because we had a, another ground score in Washington, D.C. contesting our name and our releases. And so ultimately we would have had to change our name and everything. And then that's when I was having some issues with our bass player. And I decided that it was in best interest for me to step out and let them do what they need to do. Do you guys have the best, but I I just don't know what's going to happen. Do you guys have music out under that name or did you have to pull it? We have a record out and a split out underground score. We were supposed to be releasing music as Ground Score PDX after our first issue, mm. but the members of my band didn't, I guess, set that up quick enough, and so the guy basically took our band camp away from us. Oh, wow. And started selling his music on it. 
we hadn't designated ourselves as ground score PDX prominently enough. Jesus. So therefore, we couldn't have any version of ground score. And he asked us, I guess he asked us nicely to be PDX, but we didn't do that actively enough. So then he decided to just not allow us to be ground score. That sucks. It, it, it just sucks. So that kind of complicated things on top of it. And I just, yeah. I'm so sad that that ended, but it, you know. Well, it sounds like the stars aligned, and that was kind of just time to go. Yeah, it, 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 it's really sad. I wish them the best, but I don't know what they're if they're going to be able to go on as ground score, if they will change the name, or if they're going to negotiate or do the lawsuit thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I can't be a part of that stuff, especially after the things that happened with me and the bass player. I just didn't feel very appreciated for all the hard work I put into it. So, I mean, that was that was your newest project that i saw so yeah. so so fill me in real quick on these these other couple bands that you're still playing in faith the saints i'm still in which i've been in for like 13 14 years but like i said we've been on like hiatus because my bass player's life has changed but we're still about to release you know like five records basically yeah <laughs> um and we may play a couple shows um once the world opens up, but pretty much we're just releasing all this music that we haven't released for years, and that's that. And then I'm in another band with Johnny from Second Best, and then my drummer from Faith the Saints called Sorry Not Sorry. And that's probably the most active project I have right now. Yeah, That record's almost out, and it's, I don't know, in my opinion, it's like the best thing I've recorded and some of the best music I've personally written. That's awesome. And I'm very happy on how that came out, and that's about to be released I have like two little changes I want to make to the mix and then it's done. So that's really different. It's like post hardcore experimental punk rock kind of stuff. Okay. We draw from a lot of different influences. Uh, we're down tuned. Sometimes we're in drop C sharp. So I'm really excited to see where that's going to go. So that's kind of my new band project. And then I recently started doing this thing called fucked by association, which is just, all my solo stuff, my acoustic stuff. I'm just trying to gonna try to release an acoustic record and make a record kind of on my own, mostly acoustic based, but with some other instruments and stuff. So yeah, so mainly I'm trying to move into Sorry Not Sorry and Fucked by Association, and then Faith the Saints are about to release a bunch of stuff, but the chance of a show is yeah very, more just uh, few and far between. So more just airing out the vault on that one. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what that is. So I'm sure we'd love to do a show with it, but it might not be more than one or two shows, and then that's probably done. Yeah. Well, so. where can people hit you up for production work, man? Uh, hit me up at Irican Productions at Gmail. Uh, you can find me on Facebook under Irican Productions, you know, or Instagram or any of that stuff. So for music stuff, uh, sorry not sorry or fuck by association is what's active right now. So. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I enjoyed talking with you, catching up. This was fun. And, yeah, dude, uh, it was so great to catch up with you. It's been so long. I'm glad to see you're doing it and everything. It's awesome that we're both kind of still in the game, you know? I know, man. It's a, It was really such a trip reconnecting at, at random and being like, oh, we're kind of doing the same shit. That's pretty cool. All right, that is our show. Hope you guys are enjoying the new season of the Take 92 podcast. I'm going to try to keep it up now. I'm going to be working from home, so... I should be able to bang out some more consistent interviews for you guys after we've taken a healthy break to recharge. I'm going to leave you with a track that's a rough cut from the new Sorry Not Sorry album. This is an unmastered one, straight from Irican Productions, where you can get your band recorded. This song is called Alternative Facts. <laughs>